10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. It's Thursday, 27th of January, and this is my very first show, and I'm super excited to be here with you. Today's topic will be well-being, so all the night owls out there, please do join us, and we will be talking about what authentic well-being looks this like. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, welcome to the late, late, uh, late, late show with me, Marie O'Neill. Um, we have got a very special guest who will be joining us tonight, and he's a great friend of mine. Andrew, are you here? I'm here, Maria. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you perfectly. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much for joining me. It's, um, I've got to tell you, it's my very first show, and I wanted to make it special and you are a very special person in my life because you're a great friend, you're a great colleague, and we go back, I think, about five or six years, don't we? We do, in fact, Maria. Yeah, we've, uh, we, we connected over, uh, over healthy food and cats. Uh, an interesting, uh, interesting connection for, uh, for our audience to listen to. Absolutely. Well, it's all good for the well-being. Healthy food and cats. I call them my well-being cats. So, okay. Um, I just wanted to, everybody to know, um, how did you get interested in well-being? Yeah, good, good question. Um, yeah, certainly in terms of uh, education, well-being, it's something I in retrospect, it's something I've been interested in since the day that I started training because it's a sort of recognition that you need to keep well to, to, to keep in this job uh, and also recognising um, you need to be supporting your, your colleagues because you are very much working as part of a team and, and the way that you support your team is really incredibly important. Uh, and as I progressed through um, uh, through my years in, in school, I, I realised that I was uh, being supportive of my my colleagues in uh, in in what I was doing, making sure they weren't being uh, overburdened with uh, particular tasks. This was particularly when I was uh, I was English lead at the time at uh, when the literacy strategy was coming in, uh, a time of, of often of quite great stress when people felt there was new new things all the time being dripped drip fed in new initiatives so we were constantly looking at ways of reducing workload not overburdening planning uh, and it wasn't something i was consciously looking at but i was certainly very aware of not creating too too much work and workload for everyone and uh, as i got into senior leadership that was something that 
that very much continued getting people to actually understand the impact of what they were saying and doing on each other. So that, that, that's where it pretty much came from. So right through all the years I've, that I've, I taught, that was in, uh, in the forefront of my mind. Oh, absolutely. And well-being has become a bit of a buzzword recently. Um, we talk a lot about implementation of well-being, teaching well-being. And I know that you have written quite a bit on the topic, especially when we approach the topic of authentic well-being, which is really, really important. Could you tell me a little bit about where your writing journey began? Um, yeah, I suppose there's, there's that expression, isn't there? Everyone's got a book in them. And uh, I suppose uh, right through right through my life, I've always thought about that. I've always been very interested in books. My, my mother was a librarian, so I was signed up at the library at the age of three. Um, and I was always very interested, always had, always had books on the go. And, uh, and that idea of being able to write one, always like to tick over in, in, in my mind. It never actually came to it. But when I uh, discovered the world of blogging, that's when I really started getting, um, getting going into, um, into my writing process. Uh, so I wrote a, a, a few of the blogs in, in, um, in, in different formats in the, in the past, pre, pre-education, um, just a bit of, bit of creative writing, get a bit of a bit of an audience going out a few people read, uh, read those things, uh, as well and a couple of campaigning ones. Uh, but when it really came together in terms of blogging writing was of course with, uh, with healthy toolkit, which will be familiar to, to yourself and to Helen and Matt, who I hope are listening in. Oh, yes, definitely. I can't believe how long ago we're going backwards. Um, must be, again, about five, six years when we sat down and talked about well-being and how we can really create that toolkit, toolbox of activities and strategies that would help people. Um, but you know what I wanted to say before I forget? You mentioned your mother was librarian. I never knew that because actually my mother was a librarian too. So I spent most of my childhood in the library. And actually mm. I still spend quite a great deal of my time there now as I'm writing my PhD. So another similarity that we have discovered besides our love for authentic well-being. That's brilliant. That's another, another great coincidence there, Maria, yes. <laughs> yes, so cats, healthy food librarians yep. i'm sure we'll discover something else There'll be a oh few that's more, I'm wonderful sure. yes absolutely so <clears throat> you mentioned a little bit about the uh, healthy toolkit um i'm going to go back to your book uh, which is the well-being toolkit so how did you put it all together how did it arise well that was um that's that's always an interesting uh story to sort of go through through that um uh, obviously as, as as healthy toolkit we'd had the, the blog and it had uh, well, it's now approaching 100 blogs on there um but i uh, i'd had a a book from bloomsbury sent to me at school um it's one of their 100 ideas series and uh they said would you like to write a review of this which uh, which i did um because i was on um 
I was on their, their mailing list for reviewing books. Uh, so I did, did a review and then emailed back to say, um, you've got 100 ideas for, um, I can't remember what it was, uh, 100 ideas for mindfulness. And um, I said, uh, we, I could do 100 ideas on, on well-being, if you like, mm-hmm. uh, just as a throwaway thing. And the next thing I knew, I had an email from, from Hannah, who's on the editorial team, uh, to say, I've been reading the Healthy Toolkit blogs for the last couple of years, and we think you could write something as part of our leadership program on well-being. And, and from that, uh, we put together a proposal. Uh, we shaped out what it could could be. And that was the starting point of, of the Wellbeing Toolkit from, from that sort of throwaway suggestion, I could do 100 ideas. And, we thought, and it actually became more than 100 ideas. It actually was about the principles and values that we were putting in place in in my school at the at that particular moment in time, uh, and then expanding that into um, really thinking about principled well-being, authentic well-being, and what it would look like. So that that was the origins of the well-being toolkit. That's a really great story, and I'm so glad that Hannah contacted you. And uh, you know, we have got a, such a great resource for all the primary schools. It's amazing. I think I know one other thing that is very well similar between us, another common thing, and that is neither of us likes the token well-being, do we? No, absolutely, uh, and and tokens are tokens do not make well-being at all. Um, this is a conversation I often have um, with, uh, with with colleagues who, uh, particularly when they're saying, "What are we doing well-being?" Oh, we oh, we do cakes in the staff room, mm. and um, I say, "Well, is that well-being?" Oh, oh, it, it's quite a nice thing to do. I say, "Yes, it's nice, but is it well-being?" Yes. Uh, I said, is it offered to everyone? Well, theoretically it is. Well, is it? Uh, what about the colleagues who are on playground duty when the cake's yeah. being shared out in the staff room? What about the colleagues who are staying back in their, their rooms to, to mark and get their lessons ready for the next one? They miss out when they come down at break time, uh, to lunchtime and the cakes are all gone. Is, yeah. that, is, that, is that even? Uh, what about the colleagues who are gluten intolerant? Are you considering them? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, cakes are great, but it's simply a nice thing to do. Um, another example of something that's token, and a lot of schools do it, it's, it's a well-being Wednesday. Oh, yes. And, uh, we, are, we, share, we share our lunches. We have, a, uh, yeah, we have a, an afternoon off, off timetable, etc., yeah, another great idea. But if that Wellbeing Wednesday is alongside a Manic Monday, a Terrible Tuesday, a Toxic <laughs> Thursday, and a Frantic Friday, <laughs> that is a token, yeah. absolutely. Um, tokens don't work. Nice things like Wellbeing Wednesdays, cake in the staff room, they work when you've got the culture that's been built. Mm-hmm. And that culture takes time you can't build it you have to grow it yes because a bit building is linear mm-hmm. growth is lateral 
and growth is about strengthening and supporting and nurturing. Uh, let's make a horticultural reference. You know, let's compare it to growing uh, grain runner beans. You know, mm -hmm. If you don't give that support, the runner beans don't, don't get supported. If you don't water them, they don't grow. If you don't protect them, then they get pecked and taken. And the same way with creating a culture of supportive well-being, it needs to be authentic and real. Mm -hmm. It needs to be based on real thinking about things like workload and how people speak to each other. Yeah. Uh, do they address each other professionally? Uh, not those nice things just to make up for those periods of stress. So it involves looking at the timetable. So don't, for example, plan parents' evenings in the same week as a staff meeting. Don't plan a governor's meeting in the same week as the, the Christmas performance. You know, things that are long and stressful packed together are the things that tip people over the edge. So, yeah, certainly not, um, certainly not tokens at all. No, absolutely. Uh, one of my experiences that I would like to share that came to mind when you were talking about token well-being, I was invited to one of the schools to share their nurture week and they had planned all the different activities but the first thing that I saw when I walked in was that the receptionist was in complete tears and she said, look, it is the nurture week, but I can't get the computer working and I lost some files and we haven't got an IT guy. So for me, having the nurture week would be ensuring that every single person would have the resources that would make their life easier rather than having nurture week for the sake of having a nurture week. And as you said, ticking the box, uh, having that token attitude towards well-being. And another thing that I wanted to say that made me think, in my book, when I talk about well-being and the culture of well-being, because I think we think along the same lines, I always think about the foundations or the soil. Can you plant those seeds of well-being? Is that culture a concrete or is it a fertilized soil? Because you can grow well-being from bottom only so much. It has got to come from the top as well. Would you agree with that, Andrew? Yeah, so, so certainly not. It's got to have the right culture from the top, but it's got to have the buy-in from everyone else. Um, and, and one model I, I, I propose is not a top-down or mm -hmm. a bottom-up model. And I don't like the term bottom-up no. in schools because hierarchies in schools... Again, it's quite divisive. Um, I think if you've got a, if you still have the photographs up in your uh, in your school lobby, rather than put them in a hierarchy, it's like a family tree with a head teacher at the top, and then it, inevitably it's always office staff and support staff at the bottom. That that is just completely hierarchical and, and divisive. But put it in alphabetical order or in a circle, or get mm. the children to arrange it. <laughs> that's far that's far better um, because they've got a, a sense of ownership. But um, so rather than a, a top-down model, how about a sideways-in model of, mm -hmm. of well-being? That, that's, but that, that needs it to be modelled and, and enabled from, uh, from, from the leadership of the school. But sideways-in means everyone yes. is contributing to everyone else's well-being. So whether it's your colleague who happens to be your friend, if, whether it's your, your colleague who happens to be the head teacher, you're all contributing to that 
equally, and that's essential to to working as a team. Uh, because if, you, if I make a sporting comparison here, if you think of uh, think of the football team, you've got your your spine of your uh, goalkeeper, centre back, centre forward, uh, but they're, they're they're not stars of the team. They might be the ones that get the biggest headlines. It's every other player contributes towards that, and the same way with the, with the the school. Every single player person contributes. It's not just the head teacher. It's not just the year six teacher getting who you know, gets those SAT scores. It's every single person on the way contributes to that broader success of the school. And the way everyone works together, the way they speak to each other, the way they look out for each other are the absolute essentials of, of, of making well-being work effectively as a team. Oh, absolutely. I do think that the relationships are the key because we are working with people, we are working with their emotions, and that's their emotion and so emotional and social well-being straight there. You know, one of the things that um, I did want to say um, is that very often in schools, um, there is that topic, well-being, but there isn't a shared vision or even definition of well-being. I know well-being is very subjective, but at the same time, to ensure that buy-in from everybody, to make sure that all staff are on board with senior leaders, with you know governors, with the whole school community, there should be a certain vision and definition of well-being. Would you agree? Yes, you certainly you need to define that as a school. Uh, and again, that can't be something that's defined by the leadership of the school. I mean, the leadership school is making definitions of, of many other things, particularly down, you know, about curriculum and assessment mm-hmm. and, and the vision of the school. But well-being has got to be defined by everyone. And let's think about the triangulation of the school community, staff, children and parents. They can all be feeding into what that definition is because community, again, is that key word, everyone together and good communities actually give more than they take from them. Good communities give to each other and uh, they support each other. So that's why it's important to to have everyone contributing towards that definition because staff will want to have their thoughts about what well-being will look for them. Parents will have an idea of what well-being will look like for their children. And as children, let's give them their voice. What does that look like for them as well? Absolutely. No, I can't agree more. Now, one of the questions that I would like to ask you just changing slightly the direction of the questioning. Um, can well-being be taught? I mean, you have devised the well-being curriculum. Could you tell me a little bit more about this, please? Yeah, yeah I certainly do believe it, it can be taught. Uh, and again, this comes down to the, the breadth of our definition. If you take this, the simplest definition of well-being, it's the absence of illness. Can we teach people to be how not to be ill? That that's quite tricky. But can we teach them healthy habits? Can we help teach them to learn in a healthy way? Yes, I believe we can. Uh, 
because I believe firmly that well-being is very much a life skill. And if we think very broadly about it, well-being and, and character traits sit together. Mm. Um, well-being in a broader context is not only the absence of illness, but it's, it's how people feel in different situations. That's why it's a life skill. And one of those skills is learning how to look after yourself uh, having a self-awareness and being aware of your your mental health and things you can do for your own mental health. You know, you're not going, going to if you necessarily cure anything. If you've got a, a clinically diagnosed condition, you're not going to be able to cure that. But there are things that you can do that will support yourself mentally, making sure you get enough sleep, making sure you keep yourself safe, making sure that you uh, don't overdo working online, for example, not being on social media up to the early hours of the morning, for example, would be something that uh, would certainly be very good for your well-being if you weren't doing that. So, yes, we can uh, teach well-being, and yes, I have written the well-being curriculum. But there, there are other 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 uh, books out there as well, of course. But uh, that, that's how I've envisaged how well-being can look for primary school children. Absolutely, you have made some great points. I have always thought that the way we approach well-being in the curriculum is from the deficit uh, point of view, deficit angle. So what is wrong in terms of mental health, in terms of physical health, in terms of emotional health, in terms of even social well-being? You know, we are talking about really big topics uh, for example, bullying or depression or anxiety or eating disorders. So all of those things are great and in terms of being taught, but it's still a deficit model. Shouldn't we approach all the subject, as you said, in a more positive way? What does yeah. no sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely we should. We should be thinking more more positively, taking a, a positive mindset and what can we do that is good? For our well-being, uh, and, and again, this comes down to to, to whole school strategic thinking um, is is being proactive and preventative rather than reactive uh, to, to to things that happen. So, uh, a, a great example would be in uh, the way we deal with um, online safety, mm. uh, digital safety. Uh, obviously, that is a constantly changing picture. As new apps come online and uh, new devices come online, and very often children are are more savvy with uh, with tech than than we are as the uh, as the adults. That's often been my experience. All the time I've talked yeah. to children, I've always been more advanced on um, uh, on um, on computers and uh, and other devices, but they're not always aware of the potential of those devices. And and, and one thing I actually point out in the book is is very often there's, there's device envy and, and, and showing off about devices. Children saying, I'm getting this model of iPhone. Oh, I'm getting this model of um, uh, model of console. Yes. Oh, I'm getting this laptop. And it's like showing off. It's like it's in in my, my, my early days of teaching, it was always who had which trainer uh, mm -hmm. and showing off which trainer you got. Again, in, in the same, same way, but without actually realizing the implications for the use of a particular device give a child a smartphone uh, and use it incorrectly they're, they're only a couple of clicks away from 
all sorts of potentially um, dangerous <laughs> applications yeah. without being too overdramatic. No, you know, and the pace is so fast. All the apps appear, then there is some sort of a dare going on, then they disappear, but then something else replaces them almost straight away. And another problem that I always have found with the digital world is e-safety coordinator as a pastoral leader. With online world, there is so much that is happening in the children's homes where parents are responsible for their safeguarding and is always, always a blurred line between so whose responsibility is it? And, you know, I do realise it's a shared responsibility, but I have always felt that the responsibility is shifted towards the schools to deal with that. Is that your experience at all? Yes, uh, certainly. Um, but I think it's also because parents don't always know what to do. And parents aren't always aware of what children are, are doing. Um, and uh, often we're, we're asked to sort things out. I mean, the number of times that uh, I, I was shown a screenshot of uh, some exchange on, on WhatsApp and said, well, can, what can you do about this? And so the first thing is stop your children using WhatsApp. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because, of course, that's for, that's for, should be for 16 plus. But that, that's an easy thing. Thing to say we know that children have got a device and, it, and it's there they're going to use it um so it, it's, it's not simply stopping something so we know if we ask children to stop doing something that's, <laughs> that's no, like a, a red a red, red drag to a bull they're, they're going to um they're still going going to do it so it's a matter of educating educating children about what things mean uh, and, and children are going to experiment with with language. They're going to experiment with with emojis, and uh, it's used, often emojis that yeah. that, that, are, that are used. And uh, you know, they do like to to press push the boundaries. But that that comes down to you know some some formal lessons in school talking about impact uh, because Absolutely. it's well being poor well being is about impact of poor negative poor and negative behaviours. Uh, there's perhaps some education he's doing with, with parents there as well about uh, about what what to do to keep an eye on their their children and you know, parents who are savvy uh, yeah. will uh, be able to to uh, to track their children's internet usage um, absolutely uh, may, may, may have a device to spy on something of course the easiest thing they can do which uh, again I have suggested is um, change the Wi-Fi code. <laughs> Yes. At home, it's a, it's the simplest thing. <laughs> Get the children to do the chores and only then yeah. give them the code to the Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. But again, I do feel, you know, that sometimes we approach the online world from a very negative perspective, from the deficit perspective. So, for example, um, I have been doing my PhD research for over four years and I did go into schools and interviewed pupils and one of the things that I asked them is like, you know, do your parents ever ask you about what you're doing in online world? And they said, no, actually, my parents tell me off when I come from school and I go on the computer to watch some cat videos, you know, cats, good for your well-being. Um, yep. And it helps me relax after school. But my parents tell me off because they suspect that every single time I'm online, I'm doing something that I should not be doing. So there is that side as well. 
Yeah, there is there is that 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 um, that that side about uh, creating a sort of scare culture, uh, mm. a fear culture amongst them. Um, amongst parents and you can see why some parents do that oh, definitely. Uh, i mean certainly our, our experience of the last last couple of years and what uh, parents have believed about covid for example when the uh, when the first lockdown came along um uh, and schools were were told to to um close the doors except for the the vulnerable and key worker children from the uh, the it's the 23rd of March, but mm-hmm. children were actually off for a couple of weeks before that because those first signs of, of COVID were going. Uh, but, but parents were, were tended to believe everything they saw. They, they the, the culture of fear around COVID was being being spread. So those it's important to understand what the the the, the, the culture and the communication outside of um, outside of school is. Um, you know, the power the power of, of parent groups in, in sharing certain information uh, mm-hmm. and missharing some information is, is something that, uh, that needs to be recognised. And particularly in the, in the digital world, again, yes. you know, if some are just struck down with fear that uh, you know, every time the children goes on, it's going to have, uh, it's going to have um, you know, someone who's going to try and exploit your child at the other end of it. Mm. In, in majority of cases, it, it, it isn't because of the way that we will speak to the children about being sensible online and sort of things to look out for. Um, it, it, mm-hmm. it takes time with, with educating parents. And I think one of the most challenging things is if you have, um, if you have a, a meeting for parents about internet safety, the ones will turn up, are the ones you know will always turn up. Yes. <laughs> uh, and probably not the ones you want to reach. So a little, a little bit of cloak and dagger sometimes uh, is required. I remember two years running, uh, holding a, a, the, the Friday assembly, which mm-hmm. would um, where rewards be given. Uh, parents always came to that because they always liked to, seeing stickers <laughs> given out and uh, and badges and, and children sharing their work. Um, so what what we did? I actually did a survey amongst the children about their their internet usage, and mm-hmm. um, that those. Two, two years in particular, uh, the children were kept back in their classes by the teachers and I spoke to the parents and shared the survey uh, and it, it revealed a few things about uh, what children did and what the parents didn't know because one of the questions was, have you ever been online and spoken mm-hmm. to somebody you don't know? Mm-hmm. And the percentages were, were really quite high and the, the looks on the parents' eyes were quite... A picture and uh, I said to the parents do you realize what the age limits are and they didn't so I put the age limits up on another slide and I said are your children using these things mm-hmm. and a number of them said yeah and uh, the result was a lot of them took um, took those apps off their children's phone or disabled them uh, and, and they had a word with them and, and the next year when we did it the, the numbers were still quite high but they were considerably lower than the previous year so that's got to say that's uh, that's uh, that was evidence that things are working. Yes, no, brilliant. Thank you for sharing. You, uh, you know these examples because you have got so much knowledge, and obviously that is um, reflected and collected in your book. I have got another question about your book, but let me play that first, and we'll be back in about two three minutes uh, to continue the conversation about authentic well-being being able to teach well-being to children 
and how do we create that authentic well-being culture and not paying the lip service to such an important area? Back in a second. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you, Are you looking, looking to take, take your phonics, phonics practice, practice forward? forward? Then Little, Little One, One Little Letters, Letters and Sounds, Sounds Revised is the program for you. Created, Created by, by two schools, schools with an, an excellent track, track record in phonics, Little, Little One, One Little Letters, Letters and Sounds Revised will help, will help all children, children become readers and ensure, and ensure no, no child is left behind. behind. The program offers complete support for your phonics teaching, teaching alongside, alongside classroom resources and, and fully decodable readings from Collins Big Cats. To find out more, follow at Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littleoneonelettersandsounds.org.uk Whatever learning, learning looks like, like this year, year bring, bring lessons, lessons to life, life with, with Nearpod, Nearpod, an exciting new addition to the Renaissance family. Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland. Full, full free access, access to, to Nearpod, Nearpod for the, for the whole, whole spring, spring term. So, so no, matter no matter what 2022 brings, brings Nearpod, Nearpod makes, makes switching, switching between in-class in and remote teaching, teaching simple. Visit, visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. Okay, so, and we are back. Now, Andrew, I have got a few more questions for you. So this time we are talking about children. And once I have read your book, it is quite clear that you are against token well-being for children as this. Could you talk a little bit more about this, please? Yeah. Again, in the same way with, with staff, though I've already mentioned the tokens, um, with, with, with children, um, I think we're very good at peppering our school year with Safer Internet Day, Child Mental Health Week, Anti-Bullying Week. But they need to be focused on not just for those weeks, but indeed right throughout the year because bullying doesn't stop in that week in November. It, it can happen at any point in time and at any point in the school day and before and after as well. Uh, say for Internet Day, fantastic resources that are provided for that. But it's always that, that first Tuesday in uh, February. Yeah. But children are on the Internet every day, as we know. They are in, on the Internet in, in school. So it's great to focus on it, but that has to be a constant reinforcement of that through the curriculum. So every time they're on the computer in school, uh, we need to be reminding them of the, the the safety around that. Every time they're using things at home, they need to be reminded 
of that as well. So a regular drip feed in, of that into the school culture is is really important. Um, you know, we've got Children's Mental Health Week co- coming up in a c- couple of weeks. I'm actually coincides with Safer Internet Day. Um, so it's a great opportunity to you know to discuss and talk about mental health and get some displays up around the school. But are we encouraging that culture around around good mental health? Are we encouraging and allowing children the opportunity to talk? Do they know what they can do that's good for their mental health all the time? Do we celebrate that in class? Do we have the opportunities for children to check in with their teacher, with their other trusted adults all the time? So those token token days, healthy eating days, um, yeah. you know, don't, don't limit it to that, those. Keep it constantly on, on the agenda, which is why I think it's important to actually put aside each week, if you can put aside an hour for a well-being lesson or a mental health lesson or a happiness lesson, however you want to define it, put that on your curriculum and make that uh, part of your regular routine. If that's done actually the same time in every class right through the school, that's really got a powerful impact because they will know that that's important. And that's, <laughs> you might even put it on a Wednesday, that's a justifiable well-being Wednesday if everyone's doing it for that hour at that point in time and you've actually worked out what you want to to cover so you're constantly giving that message to children that well-being is important all of the time because you're teaching it oh absolutely one of the things i probably have noticed throughout the years is really if you look at the calendar there is something that we could celebrate or put into the diary every single week of the year however I do feel that we have got to be much more selective and focus on the things that really bring out our own curriculum. Rather than be guided by what is out there, see what can be used to enrich what we already have. So almost create that curriculum and priorities from the inside rather than be governed from what's happening outside. Yeah, very much so. And you know, drive, you know, drive it from your school. What's important to your school in, in those ways? What's impacting that, that community? Because our communities are all different. Our schools are all different. So th- this is a case of perhaps not having a uniform curriculum, mm. but what suits you, what's good for your community is the most important thing. I do agree. I, I can't agree more. I think our job is to ensure that the teachers, the um, leads who are in charge of pastoral or well-being curriculum are empowered not just to use uh, something that is available from outside and can cost quite a lot of money, but enriching what they have already got with their own experience, with their own school values, with their own school priorities. So it is almost a personalised pastoral curriculum that they know will benefit the families and the children in their care. Obviously, we also have got the compulsory topics. Relationships education is compulsory at primary. Relationships and sex education is compulsory at secondary. So taking all that in and making sure that we're obviously compliant but also expanding it and enriching it with our pupils' personal experiences. 
Yeah, in, indeed. And that's bringing the, children, the children's experience into it. it gives that that authenticity and it also gives the children that sense of ownership and them taking responsibility for themselves because ultimately what we need to be producing i'm thinking my, my my primary hat on is producing those good young citizens for the future um because they go they go on to their secondary schools with that correct mindset about being good citizens that's going to help that transition. When we talk about being secondary ready, it's not just mm. a question of being academically ready. It's a question of being emotionally ready and uh, socially ready. And having those essential skills uh, are, are absolutely key to children going on to that next part of their, their life journey uh, in, in the most effective way that we can. And, and, and as you've written in, in your book, Maria, that's, that's taking the children on through their, their secondary their secondary phase to um, to be effective young adults as, as they as they leave at the age of eighteen. Absolutely, and it doesn't stop there when they go to universities, and this has been in the news quite a lot. The mental health of young people when they go to the university and they are not ready for the challenges of higher education. Yeah, indeed, and that opportunity to be independent, to be to, to be living away, needs to be sportive. Uh, but again, also, you know, think about think about behaviours towards each other uh, need to be modelled well. And if they've had good modelling in their, their primary and secondary education, uh, then that will hopefully avoid some of the things that we've seen and heard of that go on at university. I mean, we've, we've heard tales of um, of, of se- sexual misconduct. Mm-hmm. By, by, by students, which is quite shocking to hear, because in my day at, um, at university, going back a number of years, uh, <laughs> it was something that that was was very much frowned upon. And I know there's much more action is taken in, in universities about that now. But if that sort of thing thing happened, uh, it was it was very incorrect behaviour and 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 was dealt with. Absolutely. If I were <clears throat> a bit of, you know, controversial, and I know we have got all the compulsory topics and everything else, um, how would you see a year six S pupil who <clears throat> has benefited from that primary curriculum? What would that year six pupil look like to you? Well, as they were, as they were leaving the school mm-hmm. in, there, in that that rite of passage and that that, you know, that really important last few weeks of the, of the summer term when they've got their SATs done, and I'm assuming that SATs are going to happen this year, uh, and they've got their their experience of their of of their prom and their um, their leavers assembly and those those really important times. A good year six pupil is going to have yeah, really good behaviour and manners because that's been modelled in them. They're going to know how to be safe online, look after themselves. They're going to know how to be safe outside mm. of school as well because they're going to have yeah. that transition. They're going to know how to how to be safe on public transport. They're going to need to, have, know to, need to, have to be safe getting across those roads. You're saying yeah. very, very basic, but perhaps isn't taught as much. Uh, they need to have a respect for the environment uh, respect for authority 
of, mm-hmm. of adults, uh, the parents and the teachers and, uh, and those in responsible positions in society. They need to have a healthy respect for each other. But probably most important of all is they have the healthy respect for themselves and, and, and trust in mm. their own abilities and their own abilities to problem solve and to seek help when they need. Nice. That's, what, that's what that good year six people is going to look like. No, yeah, I can't agree more with what you have said. And uh, in terms of personal qualities and the self-awareness and the healthy decision-making, it is so, so important. So, before I lose my voice, I have got a couple more questions. Um, You're an expert in this area. What is the current position for well-being and mental health in schools? Yeah, it's a constantly changing, changing position. Um, if we think about staff, uh, right now they're, they're very obviously under under a great deal of stress. Um, coming back in just it's early weeks after um, after Christmas, but levels of stress are really high because of of absence of, of staff. Um, yeah, being told that COVID is on on the way out, I, I think very much differently. Uh, teachers are, and head teachers are reporting that fifty percent of their staff have been off in these these first three weeks. Uh, you know, and, and covering for that is incredibly stressful. Uh, I'm hearing of teachers who are losing their PPA. I'm hearing of teachers who are um, taking double double classes in the hall because you know they can't mm. possibly do them in in, in a classroom. Uh, I'm hearing of, of, of Hilters and, and other TAs taking responsibility for, for children um, in, in the course of a course of a day uh, and, and trying to, to teach and man, maintain those. I'm hearing of large numbers of children being off as well. So we've got uh, the anxiety that is caused by um, uh, by, by absence, mm-hmm. but also the, you know, the, the fear that will I get it? I know, I know people are feeling safer around the uh, around the, the virus now because very high levels of uh, vaccination, but it's not stopping people getting it. And and if we get it, we do need to be to be off, and that's that's impacting a very large number of, of schools. Um, but if we think more broadly, because you know, we we have a pandemic at the moment, we've had a pandemic mm-hmm. for two years, but stress upon teacher well-being has been. Uh, around for quite a period of time, as we've discussed before. And um, I would urge colleagues who haven't looked at the Teacher Wellbeing Index produced by the Education Support Partnership to do so. And it's reporting that 77% of staff are feeling stressed. 84% of leaders are feeling stressed. Absolutely. Uh, 58% of teachers are seriously considering leaving or have done in the last two years. 63 or 64% of school leaders are considering leaving. Uh, it begs the question, if they do leave, because they're not all going to leave, but quite a number of them will, who's going to replace them? Who's going to replace those young teachers who are going after the, in the first five or even the first three years? Mm-hmm. Who's going to replace those leaders? And if those leaders are going and you've got a gap in the schools, who's going to step up to those roles? Because we're going to have some very young and very inexperienced head teachers and deputy head teachers in the future. 
Uh, and one of the most interesting stats from the uh, Teacher Wellbeing Index, again, now they've asked the same questions the number number of years, is though the numbers reporting that the culture of their school uh, is impacting upon their well-being, and it's 42% reporting that. Mm. It's less than half. It's, it's still a huge amount. 42% of teachers think the culture of their school is impacting upon their well-being. Uh, and some leaders saying the culture of their school is impacting their, their well-being. Now, the leaders should be driving that culture. Yeah. Uh, and also there's a very large number of staff, including leaders, who are not aware of their institution's policy for staff well-being. In fact, they don't, some of them don't even know that they, there is one. Yeah. Uh, and those, those are quite alarming statistics to be thinking about but for staff at the current time. Uh, and, and it's there, it's it's on the Education Support Partnership website, just go, go to it and it's still on the front page, it links directly to the Teacher Wellbeing Index. Uh, very substantial and, and great empirical evidence that's been used and uh, same question, so there's a five year trend of those and, and then the, there's, there's a definite pattern in there. Some areas have improved, but some are, are, some are a constant concern. <clears throat> and we must not forget all those challenges that you mentioned, the real challenges when you get into work and you have got to deal with maybe poor behavior, maybe losing your time to plan, whatever it is. We're also human beings and we have gone through COVID, which is a traumatic event. We have been affected by that. Personally, we might have not seen our families for a long time. We might have lost someone we love during the pandemic. So as human beings, we have been through quite a lot. And going back to school and trying to solve all the other problems, it is really hard. Yeah, indeed. And we're, we're, human, we're human beings and we're not, not human doings. Uh, that's an important thing to, to, to remember and that's impacted upon upon people it's not not just teachers as mm. well-being is not just for teachers it's it's actually for every workplace uh but obviously we're talking about specific experience here of of, of people in education oh absolutely one of the things that i ask people i work with which way do you draw your triangle you probably know what i'm going to say and very often the other people are at the top and you're at the bottom and we need to flip that triangle so we are at the top because you know we do need that oxygen mask on us first before yeah. we take care of everybody else we we so, do um uh, our, our good friend patrick Otley o'connor is uh, certainly uses that that phrase almost every opportunity he can put your own oxygen mask on first and he's and he's quite right um um, what we need to do is everyone's making sure everyone's oxygen mask is also connected. Yes. This is such a great point, Andrew. Absolutely. Yeah, because it, cause it, cause it, if they're not, we say we need to enable everyone to have, to be able to in, embody their own well-being. Cause it, it's great talking about self-care, but we need to enable people to mm. have that self-care. They don't have, the time to do it and time is the most precious thing that our teachers have got they've got to have the time 
to do their professional duty, mm-hmm. but they also have time to do their personal duty because we don't have time for that. We're just going to have people burnt out and and as 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 mere shells and um, with anxiety and burnout and and not feeling as they should be. No, absolutely. Now we only probably have got time for one more question, but. You know that I'm a great fan of your writing and always have been since you started blogging for Healthy Toolkit. I would love to know, have you got any more plans for writing in the future? Yeah, so it's interesting, isn't it? They really, say so you've got one book in you. And, uh, <laughs> it's a, what, just the one? And obviously I've, <laughs> I've now got two. Um, yeah, so there's lots of ideas buzzing around my head. I've got thoughts for something that could be for children. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of supporting their well-being, I've got ideas for some fictional writing. Um, I, I'd quite like to write something for for adults as well, and and somewhere tucked away on a uh, on a hard drive, or perhaps even on a on a USB disc somewhere. I've got. Uh, I, I did write um, what was an intended to be a, a sitcom for the radio. Uh, I did actually send it to the BBC. Radio 4, but never heard anything back. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm just listening out in case somebody's, uh, somebody's borrowed any of my funny lines. But, uh, <laughs> uh, perhaps I might, uh, I might revive that and turn that into something at some point in the future. Now, that's amazing. You have got so many projects and you're working quite closely with many pastoral leaders who are responsible for well-being. Yeah, um, I am. I'm, um, I'm currently working with the Carnegie Centre of Excellence, supporting their uh, mental health, senior mental health leads. And that's, uh, that's a very, very uh, worthwhile um, mm. process to do. And it's, and it's inspiring listening to the stories of colleagues from right around the country in different roles, head teachers, executive mm. heads, class teachers, hilters, school business managers are all taking on this role. And it's wonderful to hear how they are trying to drive the the positive message about mental health and well-being in their schools absolutely and again as uh, professionals as pastoral leaders you know some of us are safeguarding leads as well but we never have that space to talk about ourselves to reflect on us it's always involving it, it is always involving something professional or something to do with children or with the leadership, or with the school structure, or, you know, some professional training, we never get the time for reflection for us as part of the CPD. And it's so important to have that time, that supervision, that coaching, that mentoring, whichever shape it comes in, really. Indeed, we, 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 we definitely need that. We need that time to, to, to reflect uh, and, and to build. And uh, as teachers, we're very good at... Um, being, being self-critical and sometimes we are very good and perhaps too good uh, and, and perhaps do a bit too much of being critical of others. And I, I always think we need to be looking for the positive in others because the biggest admiration we should have for each other is the fact we've given our time to teaching and we've given our time to do the very best for those children. And uh, it's if you're going to say that somebody's letting somebody down, that's quite a a strong thing to do, and I don't mm-hmm. believe I've ever seen anyone who's actually let children down. 
No, absolutely. I do sometimes find that uh, in terms of looking after children and being positive towards children and encouraging and supporting and providing that extra pastoral care, we are much better at doing that with children than with our own colleagues. Yes, I think you're you're right there. That can that can be the can be the case, and it, it's. I think we need to be really working quite hard in ITT about encouraging that that model of teamwork amongst um, amongst our uh, our young teachers, particularly get, getting them really thinking about their impact upon the rest of the school community. Uh, yeah, we do teach them you know, the essentials about what they should be doing with their colleagues, but thinking about what their role is within the broader team. Certainly needs, there certainly needs to be a place for that in, in, in initial teacher training, whatever format it takes. Absolutely. Some sort of training on pastoral care, on pastoral issues, on well-being, on uh, you know, different areas of, of well-being, social, mental, emotional. All of those things are so important, but we almost assume that they just come as a package when we train to lead our academic subject. Indeed, yeah, we need to be thinking yeah, beyond in that, in that broadest way possible. Oh, absolutely. Andrew, I am so grateful for your time tonight and thank you so, so much. Um, I'm looking forward to catching up with you at some stage and continuing the conversation on authentic well-being. But for now, a huge thank you to all our guests. Please do keep it going. Uh, please do follow the hashtag and share your ideas with us. We will catch up on that when we switch the platforms. But for now, all the night owls, have a great night's sleep. And we have got one more day to, to manage, which is Friday. And then we have got the weekend to recharge and refocus. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, Maria. Thank you. See you soon. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.